Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are grateful for your mercies to us, your church. We're grateful for the season. The people we don't see during the year are gathered back to us and get to enjoy them for a couple of weekends while the students are gone and then part again. We ask that you would bless the lives that are represented here, people visiting and people who are regular. In your son's name, amen. Well, when you're the last Sunday before Christmas, the pressure's on, but you're in a series, you're going through Titus, what are you going to do? Well, you're going to keep going through Titus, of course. But you'll notice halfway down the page it says Merry Christmas, because I really twisted the scriptures to get that in there. So when we get there, just be aware that even though it's the third chapter of Titus, we're going to work it around to something about Christmas. Not much, but something. So we're at the end of Titus, we're finishing it up this this week. And as I read through it, I was, I don't know, stunned. I remarked it to myself, my goodness, how apt this is this week. Declare these things, exhort and reprove with all authority, let no one disregard you. We quoted that at the end of last week's sermon, see at the end of chapter 2. And it applied, of course, to not what was coming necessarily, but what had just happened in Titus. But I wanted to put it there at the beginning of what was about to happen because he was going to declare some more of these things. Titus often doesn't get the attention that people uh, should give it. He lays out some pretty definite things that if the church just had the book of Titus, just had the book of Titus, we could probably establish the church pretty well on three chapters of Paul's writings. Because here in verse 15 of chapter 2, he says, declare these things. Verse 8 down the page says, I desire you insist on these things. There's an insistence here in, in, that you want to feel, you yourself you want to feel, so that you sit up and take notice, not like you're reading an, uh, a, an editorial in the Wall Street Journal, um, where you say, hmm, I wonder if I agree with this person. I wonder if this commentator reflects my views sufficiently. You don't get a choice here. This, this is the reflection of the views of God, not whether he's, we're not concerned whether Titus reflects your views. I'm sure you're really cozy with them, but it reflects the Lord's views. And what you want to be sitting here going, is there any similarity between my views and the views of the apostle? Remind them. That means you probably should have known this already. Remind them. Something ought to have been in you that said, Paul says, oh, let me bring this up again. And you go, oh yeah, I forgot. Now I'm reminded. Or is this news to you? Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. To be obedient. To be ready for any honest work. To speak evil of no one. To avoid quarreling. To be gentle. And to show perfect courtesy toward all men. 
What in the world? Sum that description up. I have a word for you right there. Innocuous. Not likely to bother or offend anyone. Causing no injury. Do no harm, I think the Hippocratic Oath somewhere in there says it, right? That's what Christians are described like, right? Rulers, submissive to rulers and authorities, obedient, getting a good job, ready for honest work. That's what the word there means. You notice that's the only thing read on the page. Honest work, good deeds, good deeds down at the bottom. Those really have to do with your profession, what your job is. Not speaking evil of others. Avoiding quarreling. I was just thinking about that. I've been in a lot of quarrels in my life. I have a lot of opinions. All of them correct. It is not always viewed that way by others. Sometimes they seem to be resistant to my views. Almost irrationally resistant. So, of course, I have to become shrill, right? Because to get through the haze. That's what happens with quarreling. When it starts to fall apart as a, a good argument, a good argument, you know, well and good. If, if, but once people start digging in their heels irrationally on either side, then if it continues, it starts to be a quarrel. You're just throwing grenades at each other at that point, pulling out proof texts. To be gentle, to show perfect courtesy. Be a gentleman, be a good citizen, be innocuous, be benign. This week, stuff happened on the interwebs, on the TV. Some, I consider Phil Robertson a decent Christian guy with a beard. Longer than mine. And I liked the fact, I read portions of the articles that he spoke of, and he testified to Jesus Christ, the gospel and morality very nicely, at the same time showing real good-heartedness towards people who differed with him. But he wasn't going to back off. This is sin. That said, this is sin. I was a sinner. It's very clear. I like that. Of course, the world came to an end both for Christians and for non-believers. So the question for us, and not because of the Duck Dynasty thing, I never thought I'd be mentioning Duck Dynasty in my church. <laughs> Should have worn camo this morning. Never thought I would be, but, you know, I'm grateful that he went to bat for morality. I don't want the saints going to bat for his right to say something. That's just you as a, an American citizen and he might not have a right. I'd be happy if the Christians conservatives stepped forward and said, you know, he doesn't because I believe in private property rights and A and E can fire who they want. Find that. I just want the Christians to keep saying what he said about morality. Not worry about whether or not our right to say something. You know, we get persecuted. We're supposed to be good citizens, submissive, innocuous, not marching in the streets, 
but never always ready to make a defense for the gospel. Always ready to make a defense for the hope that is in you. Always ready to say that which is good and that which is evil. They can do what they want to us. We're avoiding quarreling. We're trying to be gentle. But we're not going to say something else. We're not going to change what the guy could. I couldn't believe it when the glad officials came on TV and said, real Christianity doesn't believe this. What? You're a, you've got a radical gay group and you're telling real Christians what they believe. Thank you. We'll do that. Real Christians believe certain things are immoral. Real Christians believe there's grace in God. Real Christians want to. You don't want this to be news to you. Remember you had a choice when it says remind them. I'm going to say, did I forget this or have I never heard this? Because in Christian circles, at the same time you see, and I'm very pleased with Robertson's stand, I'm not entirely pleased with other Christians stand about it. They're making it more of a political fight. They're making it more of an economic fight. And they're making it a cause. And we get very eager about causes. It could be causes nobody has an objection to, you know, bringing an end to drug abuse. Okay, who's going to be for drug abuse? Bringing an end to, I don't know, there's not many things that are still really awful in people's minds. Nazism. You know, you can't really be a Nazi and be popular. But, you know, give it time. Now look at what it says. That describe, you feel free to reinterpret, if you don't like the word innocuous, that, that sounds spineless. Remember, where we have a spine is in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the moral quantities of the faith. When Paul is standing in chains before Agrippa, he says, Sir, I wish you were all as I am, except for these chains. We, we know that we can testify before kings and princes about the truth of the gospel, but it's the gospel that is victorious. I don't, this church doesn't have to be victorious. Christendom doesn't have to be victorious. Jesus Christ has already been victorious. And this is what he wants out of us. His apostle is telling you, be submissive, be obedient, get a good job, speak no, speak no evil, avoid quarreling, be gentle, show perfect courtesy. He's like a Boy Scout. Not the active, you know, everybody wants to be John the Baptist, nobody wants to be Jesus. Verse 3, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by men and hating one another. What a great description. Two descriptions. One, the perfect little citizen with his short pants on, innocuous, with his hair combed, and parted on the side. He's going to school with his lunchbox, and his, and his homework all done. That's the Christian. You know, just the kind of people we, it's just not, not cool enough. But, but there he is, doing his part, being obedient, not quarreling, not hating people. And, you know, we were once actually more like idiots. 
fools, disobedient, gullible, passionate, picking sides, and intensifying those fights. And oddly enough, that sometimes describes Christianity today. You just see fools out there encouraging disobedience to rulers and authorities, falling for anything, that's what it describes, it says, led astray. I was at Walmart, because I was trying to get in touch with my Duck Dynasty side, getting ready for the sermon. Actually, I was shopping for stocking stuffers for the wife. And I was in the book section, thinking there might be something edifying. Walmart, North Idaho. And there wasn't. There wasn't anything. But I did feel the temptation to put my fist through the covers of the books. Which wasn't godly. I didn't do it. Because people will be led astray by just about anything. These are books that are published because they sell. Okay? I won't mention any names because I don't know you all. They may be your favorite Bible teachers. But there they were, smiling their toothy grin at me, just <laughs> waiting to get slugged. People out there leading you astray, down the path, we're going to be this kind of Christian. Stupid is not innocuous. When you say innocuous, I do no harm. I don't bother and offend. I'm not always a crisis. I'm not a drama queen. But that doesn't mean I'm an idiot. I'm standing in the truth, not causing anything but courtesy to happen. I'm standing in the truth, ready to be obedient. Because we were once like this. Picking up sides. That describes, you know, passing our days in malice and envy, living by our passions, because, you know, you meet Christians. We were having a counseling, or Leslie was this week, counseling situation with a goldfish Christian friend who's not in the area, and life pretty much a wreck. But you'd call this person a dear Christian with a very mainstream evangelical family, meaning, of course, that most of the kids have turned away from God. But this woman's life has been described, or I've witnessed it, as almost just passionately excited about Jesus. Because they think, people think, that living by your passions and pleasures, if they are Christian passions and pleasures, are a good thing. All it does is annoy the children, and probably the pets. That you don't have, you think that being passionate about Jesus one moment will make up for your passionate anger at your husband the next. You don't get to equate that out. You don't say, oh, but I feel so good about Jesus right now. You have to be not speaking evil, not quarreling, showing perfect courtesy and being gentle, being obedient. That's the kind of person you're supposed to be. And what happens when we try to live by passions? People start adding up all of our negative passions we let out, we spoke to, we allowed to be expressed. We think we can make up for it by positive passions, 
So we go to the Christmas Eve service and sing some carols, hoping it'll put the love of Jesus back at the family before the presents get open and we start really screaming at each other. We're hated by men and hating one another. Pick sides, intensify it. That's what Christians seem to be up to. That's what, the, that's what you can look at Christendom across the, forget the non-believers. Take the, you know, the 10% that are church, you know. You look at that and go, oh my heavens. There's nothing of Jesus Christ being lived out by these people. They hate each other. I see enough of theological blogs to realize that there are some godly people out there. And you say, boy, what a relief to meet them. I hope you guys are those people. It's, you know, we're really actually trying to design what Jesus Christ told us to design through his apostles in our lives. What we're supposed to be like. Not just moving our non-Christian attitude. Because that's a non-Christian attitude. For we were once foolish. We want Christianity to be like what all sin is like. Which is us doing what we want to do in a certain circumstance. And because we think it's happening in the church. And because the fight is between two theological camps in the church. That it's a godly fight. No, you're just acting ungodly. Sin is you being what you want to be. But do you understand? That was what you were once. This was supposed to be a reminder of you, to you. That verse 4 it says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. Merry Christmas. That's the Merry Christmas. There was a little bit of, inca- there was a little bit of incarnation right there, right? When it appeared. Your gift was about this. Your gift was not to produce a Christianity in charge of the earth where they bore the sword, where they executed those people that didn't agree with them. They got into blog fights over who knows what, hating each other. That's not why the loving kindness of our Lord appeared. It was to move you from being an idiot to being benign in Christ. Being a good participant in your society for the good of your society. Remember when Jeremiah is telling the Jews when they're going to be off in uh, captivity in Babylon for 70 years, he says, hey, you're going to be gone. You're going to be gone for a generation. You're going to die there. Work for the good of your city. Work for the good of Babylon. Pagan town. And I want you to know, by the way, when it says things like be submissive to rulers and authorities, everything that you think about politics is kind of a, a nouveau naivete. It's Lockean French Enlightenment. I don't mean to speak ill of it, but you know, it's. They didn't think it back in the first century. You had Caesar, you had kings. They could put you to death just because. It wasn't, and nobody thought, all the thoughts that you're thinking perhaps about, well, if I submit to the rules, the rules and authorities, you're living in a world in which all sorts of, you know, might say governments are easygoing, and it's all the citizens that aren't benign. All the citizens are always insisting on their own way. We've designed a system that lives a life that guarantees everyone gets to pursue their own self-interest, their own way. 
And sometimes the Christians stand up and say, hooray. Now, I think it's, I you know, personally think that liberty is a better way to go in the nation. It's got its own sinful problems because liberty leads to most sins. We have to be aware of what God's trying to design in us. When God says we're under the law of liberty, he says, you are called to freedom, my brethren, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. So you have to control. If I give people liberty, I know the ungodly are going to marry seven women in Utah and make a TV show out of it. I know that. And I hope that the Christians will do what God has instructed us to do. When the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of deeds done by us in righteousness, but in virtue of his own mercy. He saved us from what we wanted to be like. Verse 3. Saved us from what we've made Christianity to look like. That's what the loving kindness of Christ appeared to do. He didn't appear in a stable in Bethlehem so that we could have a celebration every year with little nativity sets. We have one. Don't have the stable part, just have the little figures. Stable in Bethlehem so that we could create a holiday where everyone would ignore everything about Christ. Christ came to do this, to make you from, take you from being a difficult person, problem to everybody around you, to make you someone who is loving, kind, gentle, obedient, selfless, but opinionated. That's what the wonderful thing. You're not, you're not being asked to be a servile wretch. You're not asking to give up all your ideas. It doesn't say agree with your, it didn't say agree with your rulers and authorities. Just submit to your rulers and authorities. When your father says, do this, take out the trash, you don't have to agree with him that it's the thing that needs doing. Maybe he has a, you might say, an overly intensive view about garbage removal. And you've thought about that. For heaven's sake, you're 14. You understand. And you can hold the negative view. You can hold the view that is contrary everything your father holds sacred about garbage. But you'll take the garbage out because you're submissive. Not because you agree, but because you submit. Matter of fact, submission works best when you don't agree. Because you know you're being... You're saying, I know who's in charge here. You've heard me say this before, and I want to remind you to meditate on it. The key question in all human choices are, who's in charge here? Maybe I had too much time in the military. He saved us. Not by virtue of who we are. It's not that God wanted to rubber stamp what non-Christians were up to and put the Christian name on it. So that now we're for God and for Jesus, but we're doing it the same way with passion and intensifying our strife. We're not here to do that. We're here to be changed. In virtue of his own mercy, not our way, his mercy. 
And that's a big, bigger than you think maybe meditated on this afternoon. Not the way you would design Christianity to be or the things you think Christianity should represent. But you have to stop and say, if God wants me to be doing stuff, do you think he may have, oh, there's a Bible. Maybe he wrote it down there, what I should do. What's his way? His mercy appeared to achieve his way by the washing of regeneration and renewal in the Holy Spirit. Remember when Jesus Christ, well, John the Baptist said this about Christ. You know, I baptize you with water, but one is coming after me who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with power. We are being baptized by the Holy Spirit. We are being washed. It's the word used here is not baptism. But we're being washed to get rid of all of verse 3, to clean us up of verse 3, so that you're no longer a fool, disobedient, gullible, passionate, intensifying your distinctives. He's trying to wash you free of that. What, what does it take to get you to undo the world in you? We don't want to design a church that has all of the marks of the world just with Christian theological terms. Regeneration, rebirth, that means born again, right? Renewal, you're brand new. But in the Holy Spirit, what's it say? In the Holy Spirit, which he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Reason, verse 7, so that we might be justified by his grace and become heirs in hope of eternal life. So Christianity, what it is, this is why Jesus came, Merry Christmas. This is what the shift should be between, between fools and good Christians. And the power of God was being leveraged in you to make that shift. And if you don't access that shift of the Holy Spirit, regenerating you, washing you, making you better, if you don't, You'll just make a Christianity. You'll just design the church to reflect all of those urges. You'll see pastors trying to get people more passionate, more involved in a cause, more, you've seen it with things as wacky as Westboro Baptist. You take a view. Pretty soon you're standing in the breach, picketing. Is that what it's said to do? Does it say, remind them to become the rulers and authorities? doesn't ever say in the scriptures to become the rulers of authorities. It says, hey, think about it. I mean, think about all the people that you know that are governors and, you know, state representatives. They were those annoying people in high school that were always running for class president. Because in their mind, the only thing they could do was have power. And they don't really actually care whether they're Democrat or Republican. They just want power. So they're, they're taking up all the office and space in Washington, D.C. and the State House in Idaho. Let them do it. We're just being asked to be submissive to all the rulers and authorities, to be obedient. And Jesus Christ is the kind of person that can make us, because of his incarnation, Merry Christmas, because of his death and burial and resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon you, cleaning you of what you just need to know, what am I getting cleaned up with? As you get older, 
You begin to realize where the dirt is in your, on your body when you're washing. Because sometimes when you're a kid and you're learning to wash your hands first, you know, big chunks of mud or manure are hanging off of you. But you're not, you don't care, you're just you're going through the motion. I remember one of my children was given a rake and told to rake leaves. Well, no, leaves raked up, but he had passed the rake physically over every portion of the yard. But he hadn't realized that maybe the tines weren't down. But nothing got picked up. The, the, the yard was so full of leaves. Sometimes you begin to realize, oh, it has a purpose. The washing of regeneration and renewal in the Holy Spirit is supposed to have something pour out richly on you that you might be justified, the word means made righteous, by the grace, by his grace, and become heirs in hope of eternal life. Christianity, folks. Chapter 3 of Titus. This, oh, I like this. Uh, uh, the saying is sure. It's like, Evan, you know, sometimes you got a microphone, you can lean up into it. Be really, be really dominant. And you guys don't get that. You don't get little speakers by your pew where you get to go, no way! So I have, you say, a, a degree of aggression or a degree of uh, I can lean on my pulpit, I can dance around up here and keep your attention. And you think, well, the Wilson, what are you going to do? These people, they, well, somebody was commenting to me the other day, I think it was Phil Carr. He was just weird. This was with my dad. And he's just weirded out by the level of confidence in our own opinions Wilson's have. It's just, it's disturbing. So sometimes, you know, it may seem to you that we're leaning a little bit hard on the text. You know, like, the scripture's going by us and we're being a little bit more, you know, pounding at home. It's a sin against the living God. The saying is sure, folks. The saying is sure. Having said it, it's true. You need to go back and look at it and go, yep, it's sure. I, I, Evan, no matter what Evan did to it, it's true. I thank God it's true. I thank God this is the way Jesus Christ, through his apostles, has described the faith. Just keep thanking God for it. But it's sure. You don't get any more clear than that. Then he says, I desire you to insist on these things. There you go. It's like encouraging Wilsons. It just, it just builds them up. It just allows them to run away with it. Insist on it. So that those who have believed in God may be careful to apply themselves, this is really odd, to good deeds. It sounds to you like it's just recommending, you know, helping the old lady across the street or carrying a something. Being, you know, whatever the good deed of the day is. But actually, this is probably, like I mentioned before, good employment. It actually says that in the footnotes of my text. It says, oh, this could be translated or enter honorable occupations. And given what he says down at the end in verse 14, and let our people learn to apply themselves to good deeds so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful, it a little more clearly has to do with your occupation. So it's probably you can do what you want with the text, but I think these three things are really talking about you as citizen. 
You as person in your world, you're not going to be difficult. You're going to get a good, you're not going to get some wacky job. You're going to get a good job that pays well. You're going to work hard, not because you're hungry for money, but because you want to be a help to other people. You want to be a benefit in people's lives. That if you believe in God, you should apply yourself to getting a good job. These are excellent and profitable to men. Doesn't it start to make a little more sense right there? We get recommended to righteousness all the time. But here it's recommending that you get a decent job. But avoid, go get, a, go get some work and shut up, basically. Go get a job and shut up. Okay, if you want to tidy this up, if you want the living Bible version of this. Hey, punk, get a job, shut up. But avoid stupid controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels over the law. Getting a good job is profitable. These, for they are unprofitable and futile. Whose kid was that? That was the Sandmeyer kid. People who hear the tape on the SoundCloud are going, what? <laughs> uh, a kid walked by. <laughs> we are to stay away. I recommend something to you. Stay away from causes. I don't care if it's a good one. I don't care if it involves babies or bunnies or small chinchilla and you're kinda, they're kind of cute and you've got to stop the killing of that just gets people all worked up. We are to be. Think about it. Paul was in Rome. The Colosseum hadn't been built yet. It was built by Vespasian. But you had other circuses and things like that. Um, all sorts of bad things happened in Rome. Any Christians come into Paul and go, you know, we ought to start a kind of a ministry. Go picket the sex workers down by the circus. What? Why don't we get a job? Avoid quarrels. Preach the gospel. Represent what God wants you to represent. You're trying to say that we don't want to stop these bad things from happening? Okay. When you have an area of interest that is greater than your prime instruction, your prime instructions throughout the New Testament, not just here in Titus, but you go look in what, what Mark read this morning out of Galatians 5. You don't see cause defense. You don't see what you're told to do at the most basic level for the Christian life to go out and create the Christian church as the Christian church is pretending to function. Jesus Christ wants you holy. Doesn't care if you're a slave, doesn't care if you're a wife, doesn't care if you're a short person or a kid, or, or doesn't care if you're a, um, a third world individual or a first world individual. He's got the gospel to save you from your sins, not somebody else's sins, not somebody else's meanness to you, not to keep you from getting your feelings hurt. It is to make you righteous before Jesus Christ. He's capable of doing that regardless of the circumstance. You could be 
tortured for the faith until you're dead, and Jesus Christ can still be there giving you peace in him. Because it has nothing to do with what's going on. It starts to seem like Jesus and the apostles didn't seem to really care. They don't ever speak to the issues of the age. You don't ever see Jesus going, you know, i got a real problem with the way the Roman legion is constructed. Who cares? Let Rome decide how the legion is constructed. Get a job. Shut up. Quit getting into a fight about crazy things. Because there are people that do. Verse 10, as for the man who is factious, the word factious is where we get the word heretic. Now I want you to know, <laughs> in case you didn't, I'm a heretic. So I think of it in the best possible terms. So if you're a heretic, and some of you are heretics, you probably don't know it because it really isn't a, you're not catechized or made to believe what's the orthodox position about this. The real problem with factious people is not, not that they hold a heresy, but what they do with it. They start to make that idea, the endless genealogy, the stupid controversy, the secondary thing, the thing that isn't about what Christ is about in you. They start to make it primary. It's a subprime reality. The reality in Christ is who you are becoming in Jesus. Are you being made more like the Lord Jesus Christ or not? Are you doing what you were told to do? Or are you all up on what, if it was my heretical views, am I all up about what I think about this? And I'm always telling you. You say, I didn't know he was a heretic. Well, good for me then. Which means I'm not up in your face about it. Because I don't want to be up in your face. I want to be, I like holding my views. I like them because they're right. You can go on and thinking what you think. Because the man who is factious, it's not a problem that he holds the view, because who is going to say, which is the true view? What's the orthodox position? There is no orthodoxy. You're either biblical or you're not. But who is going to say? And that's what all factious men say. But they're always bringing their divisiveness, their party spiritness, their controversy is always on the tip of their tongue. I'm to avoid stupid controversies. So I'm supposed to admonish him once or twice, and if he won't, knock it off, have nothing more to do with him. I'm not, I don't have to fix him. I don't have to bring anything to bear. I don't have to warn him, yeah. But I, actually, the best thing to do is avoid him. That's the best. Warn him once, twice, your choice. Don't deal with him. Don't deal with him anymore. Knowing that such a person is perverted. What's the perversion? You spend all your time organizing subprime realities. So your theology, your causes, your profession, everything is about that. Everything is about these things that are needful. I think it's reasonable to have good theology. I think it's reasonable to have, you know, maybe have an investment in certain causes. Fine and dandy, not a problem. But when I make those subprime realities, treat them as if they were the prime task of the believer. And they're not. If I treat them as if they are, I bring an inordinate measure of all these things into every situation that I'm in, spiritually with other believers. 
and it causes trouble. It causes controversy. It's unprofitable. We're watching in regeneration of the Holy Spirit by the work of Jesus Christ to, to make me not like that, to make me a better person. That's effective. We want to be fruitful. We want to be profitable. Such a person, and I've known a lot of these people, and it doesn't matter to me what the theology is. I've seen people who hold my theology about things, hold it all wrong. Factiously, unable to stop talking about it. Let your theology make you into something. Let your theology change you. If your theology is part of God's gift to you, it was the theology of change for you. So that you are no longer foolish. So that you are made what that description is in chapter 3, verse 1. Till you're made to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, your theology, if it's good, ought ought to be making that in you. And everybody should go, hey, Wilson, what's that idea you had? Sure turned out well for you. Want to tell me about it? No. Please? Okay. If you ask nicely, I'll tell you about it. The people that don't, the people that are pushing their way, they're always creating stupid controversies. Causing division. You warn them. But realize they're self-condemned. It says that. Perverted and sinful, he is self-condemned. It's going to... It's bad theology or bad measure of it. It's going to be too much time on this. And he's not going to have the ordinate value. It's going to create its own judgment. When I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to be at Nicopolis, where I've decided to spend the winter there. He may have been arrested at Nicopolis. Uh, it's on the west coast of Greece, near Ithaca, near Corkira. Um, do your best to send Speed, Zenus the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to apply themselves to good deeds. You might say honest occupations. So as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. It's not just get a job, you know. But be a, get a job because you want to have profit out of it so you can be a benefit. Rather than being a detriment, you're a benefit. Rather than being a needy situation, you're a benefit. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Let's thank God. Dear Lord God, we're grateful. Grateful for the holidays in a few days. We know it's not when your son was born, but we also... Set aside the time, it's a cultural thing. We can get silly about But Lord, we're grateful for our families and the gift giving. We're grateful for our knowledge as believers of what great gift your son gave in becoming man. We know that our lives are supposed to be changed by that gift. And Lord, alert us to what the change ought to be. Keep us from being deceived by a church that designs Christianity to look just like non-believing behavior. Make us good, Lord. Make us righteous. 
In your Son's name we pray. Amen.